and a life with you our access to you through Jesus Christ you are our provider our healer and our protector and our God I worship you as your church in Jesus name Amen
morning. Oh, I always love following Tony. That's always my... <laughs> okay, a couple of uh, quick announcements before we continue worshiping here. Uh, if you're hungry, even if you're not hungry, go out and buy a burrito. They, they're super good. They're awesome. It's our last fundraising uh, thing for Celebrate Recovery before they, um, they go off on the, they're going down to Summit. Uh, it's the 25th year, uh, 25th anniversary of um, Celebrate Recovery. They're going to be down there representing us, Fairbanks, Alaska. They are an, a loud, obnoxious bunch when they go down there. But everybody remembers them when they come back. So uh, make sure you help them raise some funds out there. And I've been told they have, uh, if, you, if you're gluten-free or on some sort of special diet, you can, apparently, you can get burritos wrapped in lettuce. Who knew? But they have that out there for you. If you want to flower planting here at the church next Saturday, bring your gloves uh, and a smile. We'll be out here at noon planting flowers, mowing, making everything look nice. One um, one last thing is Aslan. If you don't know about Aslan, we've been talking about it. It's it's uh, raising up uh, families, raising up children in those families uh, to to know God, to follow God. Uh, it's if you want to go deeper, if you really want to. If you really want to see what it's like to raise a Christian family, go today to Aslan. They're going to be meeting after the second service. There's lunch and their child care, um, and it's, it's fantastic. We've already had a group go through it uh, for the last year. Um, so if you want to just see about it, if you want some information about Aslan, uh, go check it out. Uh, it's going to be today, like I said, lunch and child care served. We're going to continue worshiping, but it's time for the kids to go have fun and learn about Jesus and Kids Church. The adults, we're going to stick around.
Church, if you're visiting us for the first time or if you haven't been back in a while, it's good to see you once again. And for those of you who are here each and every Sunday, of course, welcome. Uh, today we uh, continue as we, uh, we're going to be moving through the Bible. And, you know, you should be very happy. Uh, we're, we're actually two-thirds of the way through the Bible. We've come to the end. We're coming to the end of the Old Testament. So congratulations. You, you've sat through the entire thing. And, uh, but before we get going on that, what is this? Is there some sort of giant bug on here? What's going on here? All right. Okay. I don't know what this is. All right. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take up the offering. So, uh, sh- I like the offering too, because I have to write all the checks around here. It's a, it's a fun day. So, uh, our heavenly father, we thank you that you, um, provide us with so much. Um, even if sometimes it doesn't seem like we have a lot, it's amazing what you can do with a couple of loaves of bread and a few fish. Uh, Lord, we ask that you bless uh, the offering, bless those who give um, with a gracious heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to show a video right now, and then we're going to call up a special guest. Um, so, Rich, if you wouldn't mind showing that while we uh, take up the offering. Something as simple as water. Something taken for granted in much of the world. But where do you find it here? And what if this is the only water you did find? Manzi, 
This water was what a community was surviving on. It's also what was making everyone sick. Not only bad, but miles away. Young girls were forced to walk hours every day for this basic necessity. Everything else was secondary, including going to school. A well seemed the only answer, and one was drilled for, but the hole was dry. Three more times the drilling failed to find water. A fifth drilling was scheduled. It would take a miracle, and that's what was prayed for. The community and World Vision staff prayed alongside one another as the fifth well was drilled. Clean water. Here, what was previously only thought of as a dream was now overflowing jugs. And what a difference this water makes. Amen. Power of prayer. We're going to bring up Carmen right now. Carmen, where are you? Help me welcome Carmen Brooks up here, folks. Uh, Carmen, just by way of introduction, you probably have seen her up here before, but one of the things besides Celebrate Recovery and Aslan and all the other amazing things she seems to be involved in around here, uh, f- somehow finds time, and she has, what do you, you have 15 boys, right? 15, five boys, okay. She's five. And uh, still two at home. She finds time somehow to do this World Vision, and she's going to tell us about what's going on in World Vision and what we can do here at Friends Church to help them over there. Thanks, Carmen. So I am a child ambassador for uh, World Vision. Um, World Vision's been an organization that's been around for about 60 years. They do emergency assistance um, in countries where they have um, disasters, natural disasters, and they also do long-term projects to alleviate poverty. Uh, The president is Richard Stearns. Um, He's the author of the book, The Hole in Our Gospel, which I would recommend reading if you've never read it. I became a child sponsor for the first time 20 years ago. Um, I tried to... um, I picked a child that was about my daughter's age at the time because I thought it would be a good educational thing to kind of us do this little project together and help her learn that there's people in the world who have, you know, almost nothing. Um, that child uh, was, a, was a young girl who was about my daughter's age, but she became a child bride at a thir- age 13 in Ethiopia. And so I, I was no longer able to sponsor her at that point. Uh, then I picked up another young boy uh, six years ago, um, his name was Innocent in uh, Twakianda, Zambia. And um, 
I had said to myself when I picked him, because my sister was living in Namibia at the time, and I thought, well, if I ever go see my sister in Namibia, I'm going to go look up my sponsored child in Zambia. Um, so then this last Christmas, um, my sister and my mom decided it would be a good time for us girls to go see my sister, who had now m moved to Durban, South Africa. And I thought, well, Durban's a little bit further away than... Um, uh, Zambia than Namibia was, but I'm still going to give it a shot. So I decided I would um, go travel there in December and go look up my sponsored child. And um, so I flew into Joburg, and um, my my mom and other sister split up, and so because they didn't really want to do the Zambia thing with me, so I went in by myself, and um, it was just an amazing trip, very, very life-changing. I threw, uh, flew into Livingston, um, got to see one of the seven wonders of the world, Victoria Falls. Um, it was one of the most traumatic events, though, of the whole trip, just because the um, tourist books talk about these baboons that are on the trail. And so I decided to take the trailhead down to uh, the boiling pot and... Um, all these baboons came out of the lush forest as I was walking down. I had my backpack with my uh, pilot bread, and it. it has signs at the top of the trailhead, don't take food. And so here comes these baboons, and they were little monkeys, you know, cute monkeys at the top of the trailhead. And I'm like, ah, you know, baboons. Yeah, they were real. The baboons in Zambia are for real, and they just came flying out of this trail, and it was something else. But um, then I went into uh, Twakianda and uh, World Vision provided a, um, a translator for me, and I got to see my sponsored child, and the whole village came out. It was really, um, I don't know, it was just an incredible experience to have all these people come out when all you did was, you know, pay this $39 a month sponsor fee for this child. Um, we had gone shopping. I brought some Christmas presents for them, which was um, some seed for the father and some blankets and uh, cooking oil and soap. Um, but they were so, so grateful um, that I was there, and the, the schoolmistress came out, and she wanted to meet me, and so I talked to her through the translator. Um, so then when I came back, it was just like, you know, I, I can do so much more. I sponsored five more, so now I have six kids there. Um, and I became a child ambassador for World Vision, and... Um, So I decided that it would be just a cool thing for if this church could, because this community isn't that big, it's mostly rural, it's not like a, a village per se, because they're all spread out, they all farm there, that um, if Friends Church could sponsor the rest of the kids in Twakianda, Zambia, um, that this would be totally doable. The, the numbers fluctuate, but right now there's um, like 67 kids in that community that uh, need to be sponsored, and I thought, you know, Friends Church, all of our f kids as friends could kind of be friends, because mm. they pretty much would go to some of the same school, and it's just a really cool thing for um, children, if you have children, to kind of learn that there's kids out there who actually have nothing, that have, you know, dirty water, and all these girls especially are, are hauling water, and they're not able to go to school, the extra kids that I picked up, the five ones, none of them had been to school. And actually, my son ended up, my 16-year-old is sponsoring one of the children, Onesius. He's a 12-year-old boy. 
And I said, you know, in your summer job, you make more money than people in Zambia who are making, you know, $1,300. The average income is $1,300 a year for a family. And some of these families are, um, you know, very large. My, my sponsored child has, there are six children in that family. But, you know, when they're farming, they need, they need the workforce. They need the kids to haul the water. And a lot of kids die before the age of five. So it's just... It has really changed my heart to um, be a child sponsor. You get little report cards. In fact, just this weekend, I got a letter. You know, you get letters from Zambia, which are in themselves really cool. And they write little letters to you. Um, what Onesius did, he said, we do milk our cattle in the morning. We have three cattle. <laughs> like that, we have three cattle. I also go to church every week and on Sundays, and my favorite food is Nishua with beef meat, which is the maize corn that they eat. And then my child, Esther, wrote me, um, our crop maize is now reap, and it's enjoyed since it's rainy season. There are four brothers and three sisters in my family, and my both parents are all alive. And here's a young girl writing to let me know that her parents are both alive because that's not a given in Zambia where the amount of AIDS is um, very high and kids are orphaned by AIDS. And for her to, a little eight-year-old, to write that to let me know that both, both of her parents are alive. So, um, and then you get a report card from the child. You get a, re a yearly report card, which I just dropped on the ground. <laughs> Um, and you, you get things from World Vision. You never miss a child's birthday. You never miss Christmas or Easter because World Vision actually generates a card. So you never have to s spend postage except for the United States because send, they'll send it in plenty of time so you can send it back to uh, their headquarters in Washington and then they forward it out to Lusaka or Livingston, Zambia. Um, so I have sign-up sheets out in the back foyer because on the website... They can sort children by country, but because I'm looking at a very specific area, which is the Twakianda, Zambia, I'm going to actually have people sign up first and then actually call the kids. Put them, they'll put them on a piece of paper where they'll actually come off the website, and that way I can hand-deliver them to people because I had already called some off of there, and then um, some of them expired, and now they're not popping back on the website, so I just want to be real careful that I don't actually make it worse for children to get a chance at sponsorship by calling them off the website. So I want to have people prearranged for the rest of these kids in the village. So if you're interested, and then I just want to share a scripture real quick, um, which I took with me as I was there. It's Isaiah 58, 8 to 11. If you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry... And satisfy the needs of the oppressed. Then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. We are all Christ's ambassadors. God chose us to be his representatives, to proclaim his good news to to be the good news, and to change the world. And that's what I'm asking you to help. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, this is totally doable, guys. I know that we could do this. We could uh, get this entire village sponsored and uh, uh, give these kids some hope.
Um, just imagine what it would be like. I, I was just sitting there thinking, I said, you know, what, why don't I have my kids come and find a kid, a brother or a sister that they'd like to adopt, and then uh, they could spend some time. Um, you know, it not only brings uh, joy into their, the, the kids' lives over there and helps them out, make sure that they get an education and get some water and have a future, but uh, imagine the, um, the lesson that it teaches our young kids. Um, um, and so they'll hopefully put that better and, and make this world a better place than, than we're leaving them. Uh, we're going to continue on going on through the Bible today. And, uh, you know, we're in between pretty much. Derek's going to sort of wrap things up and introduce us to the New Co- Covenant next week. But we're in between uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And this is sometimes referred to as 400 years of silence. I'm wondering, I'm not exactly sure what Floyd and, and Dave and Eric thought of my um, theological knowledge when they gave me the part of the Bible where there is no Bible. Um, sure. Unless you're Catholic, and then there's, there is stuff here. <laughs> there's the Apocrypha. But this is 400 years of silence, right? So this is the part... Um, where uh, God had, you know, done a lot of work, he had created the world, he'd, he'd sent forth prophets, he'd fulfilled a lot of prophecies, and he got a little tired and he decided to take 400 years off. No, that's not what happened. Um, although the Jewish people uh, had, had decided, had, had come to the conclusion that prophecy had stopped, that new prophecy had stopped, and therefore um, we don't see any uh, books being written that enter into the canon during this time. Nevertheless, prophecy is still being fulfilled. God is still working, sometimes behind the scenes, to so structure the events of the world and world history uh, to keep moving things forward. So you have the Jewish people kind of hanging out, waiting for the Messiah to come. Things aren't really changing in terms of that. They don't see anything, although they do see prophecy being fulfilled. And, and sometimes in the strangest places, if you're reading the book of Daniel, you read, and, and it's, it's pretty much decided in, uh, 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 by historians who look at this, that the book of Daniel did a really good job um, prophesying Alexander the Great. Not a Christian. Greek guy, right? But if you're reading through the book of Daniel, you see this. They talk about the ram and the goat. And the ram is this uh, uh, is Persian Empire. And if you've seen the, the 300, you've seen the 300, haven't you? With the Spartans and stuff. So you got Xerxes and later on Cyrus and all these other guys. you got the Persians. They, 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 they run the joint, right? They run the ancient Near East. They have a huge army. And then nobody's able to overthrow them. And all of a sudden, this guy, Alexander the Great, his dad is Philip of Mac. Macedon, his dad dies, he becomes king at a very early age, and he just starts running through the Middle East, right? Nobody is stopping this guy. He's conquering everything. The scripture says he would move so fast that his feet wouldn't touch the ground, and that's what happened. And he just goes through it, and they call him the, 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 the ram, and he has one horn, and he's going he's gonna to be running through, and this is what the prophecy says in Daniel. And then it says, uh, uh, it, it talks about how his, uh, his untimely death and the horn would be broken off. And that's what we know about uh, Alexander, that he died at 30 years old, very young, uh, seemingly at the height of his, his fame. And he dies. The Bible, of course, talks about this. There's even some story that, that Alexander read about himself in the book of Daniel and said, hey, that's me. They're talking about me there. And 
the Bible also goes on to say that he would have no heir and he didn't have an heir and that his kingdom would be divided into four. And that's exactly what happens. His kingdom is divided into four separate little kingdoms. And then they go off. So you have Ptolemy in one place and a bunch of guys whose names I can't pronounce in other places. And this is exactly what's going on. You see, God is still working. We might have silence as far as the Bible is concerned, but God is still working in the world, right? He's still moving in the world. He is shaping the events of the world so that one day when the time had fully come, the scripture says, God would send his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might be, receive adoption to sonship. God is still working behind the scenes. It's amazing when you read about how God used these pagan, uh, pagan empires like the Roman Empire to further the spread of Christianity. You see God raising up these, these empires like the Romans. They would come in and, uh, and everybody's speaking Greek already. So he's already got this lingua franca. We've already got the, the, the Hebrew Bible uh, uh, translated into Greek under Ptolemy, under, under uh, a non-Christian ruler. And then you have the Romans rise up, and by the time Jesus comes along, the Romans are in control of everything, right? So the Romans are awesome. For, for, all their, for all their bad press, they're pretty awesome at building things, right? And so they've built these amazing roads that stretch from Rome into all these different parts of the world. Rome, roads that can uh, uh, speed up travel so you don't have these, these, these caravans going across the desert or this, this old road where there's just ruts that slow them down. No, they've got these awesome roads. They've got these awkward that they've built that, that, that transport water for hundreds of miles. And so, and they've got these Roman soldiers. They never station them at home. So what they do is they take all the Roman soldiers who have heard the gospel, have heard this, and they send them out into furthest reaches of the world. So you see God working behind the scenes all throughout history, even when the Bible is silent, to further his plan. He's got that perfect plan that we've been talking about for the last 12 weeks. God is always working Behind the scenes. But. It was silent. And there are times I think in all of our lives. When we have silence. When when we feel like we are not hearing from God. There are times when. Let me skip through here a little bit. This is the Bible timeline. There are times, just like this 400 years here between Malachi and the Old Testament, where there's no scripture, where there's none, no God-breathed word coming into the lives of the Jewish people, where they feel like perhaps that God isn't speaking to them. Why aren't there more prophecies coming on? There are times in our lives when it's just like that. We have these awesome times in our lives when we're clo- we're really, you know, we're really locked into God, and He's feeding into us, and we feel it, and we hear from in our prayers we pray they they they, they, they're answered right away but no doubt there are people sitting in this room who have gone through spiritual dry times and today we're going to talk about what to do during those times things that we can do to make sure that we're not doing anything to interrupt the flow of information from god things that we can do to to get things going again things that we can do to make that connection secure to keep it going and Perhaps, 
Just like the Jewish people who had hope during that 400 years of silence that the Messiah would come, that they were assured that would come. Perhaps we will find in the scriptures and in our own lives that silence is not always a bad thing. Silence can be a blessing. And we'll talk about that here in just a few minutes. I found this great quote while I was looking for things. And I'll read it for you. I don't know if you can read it up there. So it's from a guy named John Bloom on his website, Desiring God. He says, we have this, we have these encounters with him where he breaks into our lives with power and answers our prayer and wins our trust. And he waters the gardens of our faith, making it lush and green. Oh, I love those times. And then there are these seasons when chaos careens with apparent apparent carelessness through our lives and the world leaving us shattered or an unrelenting darkness descends or an arid wind we don't even understand blows across our spiritual landscape, leaving the crust of our soul cracked and parched. And we cry to God in our confused anguish and he just seems silent. He seems absent. So we have these awesome times where God is just filling us, right? And we love it. And sometimes it seems like our prayers just go unanswered. It seems like, why, why am I in this position? We have sickness come into our lives, disease, a, a, a marriage that is broken, a friendship that is lost, financial hardship, and we cry out to God. As David did when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That might sound familiar. David said it too. Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night. But I find no rest. Why? What do we do? What can we do when we find ourselves going through moments like these? When we go through seasons like these, when it seems like God's just not answering our cries, when it seems like our prayers, are, 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 they, don't, they don't make any sense. We, we pray, we, we're so used to hearing something from God, but for some reason, we're not getting any feedback. We have no idea how to, how to, how to even go forward, and we're afraid to go forward. But there are things that we can do when that happens. Hopefully, these times and seasons happen very rarely. But they do happen to everybody. Well, one of the first things we can do is we need to examine our lives. The psalmist says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. We've all had anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See what you need to do. And this might seem harsh. But during those times when it seems like your life is dry and you're not getting any feedback, you need to ask yourself, is there anything that I'm doing that's blocking this communication? I need to examine my life and say, is there anything sinful in my life that I'm holding on to that is keeping God? Because see, God wants to talk to us. That's not it. God wants to talk to us all the time. He totally wants to be in communion with us all the time. But sometimes we got stuff in our life that prevents that from happening. 
All right, what are you holding on to? What kind of sin do you have in your life that needs to be confessed, that needs to see the light of day, that might be blocking you? It might be something as innocuous as, 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 as I like to work all the time. I want to work. I'm, I'm enjoying the money. I'm enjoying uh, the peace of mind I have. I enjoy the security that I have for my family. And so you're working all the time. You don't have time for prayer. You don't have time to read the scripture. Maybe your work and your net worth has become your idol. Maybe you need to examine that part of your life. Maybe you have wrong motives. Maybe you have an addiction in your life that is blocking your ability to speak with God. So you just, you got to look at these things. And even if you don't find that you're holding on to one thing, just the act of examining your life, and when you do find these things, repenting of them, and then returning to God is a wonderful cycle to get in. And oftentimes what we do is when we find that we do, we unload ourselves, we've searched ourselves, we repent, we turn to God, that gets the well going again. So we have to do that. We have to live an examined life. But you have to be careful. You want to do a, what we call and see our a balanced inventory. Most of us, with the exception of a few narcissists like myself, when we look at... At ourselves, most of us will, will, especially when we're talking about examining our life before God, we're going to look at all the bad parts of ourselves first. Oh, look at this. Oh, I clicked on something I couldn't click. I shouldn't click on. I'm not a very good husband. I spend too much time watching basketball. Whatever the case may be, we'll take this unbalanced inventory where we have all this horrible stuff over here and we can't find anything good about ourselves. So we have to be careful. You don't want to get self-absorbed. I, I, I did uh, one of these strength finder tests recently, a couple of them actually, and one of the things that I found, and it was no surprise to me, is I like to sit and get absorbed in my thoughts, and I like to think, well, what happens is I get absorbed in my thoughts, and I'm thinking about myself all the time, and I, I, I just it's like being on a hamster wheel, right? And what happens is I, I'm thinking about myself. I'm not thinking about God all the time, and I get all these voices in my head, and remember, I'm bipolar, so there's a lot of voices in there already, And all of a sudden, there's more in there, and they're all talking and having a party. It's like Cinco de Mayo going on in my brain. I knew you'd like that. (laughs) You're from Colombia. What do you care about Cinco de Mayo? (laughs) So we got to be careful. Take a balanced inventory. Uh, The second thing we can do is accept God's sovereignty. All right? You remember Job, of course. Job is the, is the paradigm example of a guy who, 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 who has this awesome connection with God, who's done everything right in his life, and then he has a, a dry season when everything starts to go wrong, and he can't figure it out. And so he examines his life, and he's like, no, that's not it. But, you know, I mean, I'm a sinful man. Of course I'm that, but I'm bringing these things before God. And one of the things he has to learn to do is accept God's sovereignty. And this is something that we need to understand as well. Job says, shall we accept the good from God and not accept adversity? Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Think about what Job said there, okay? Job said, listen, everything comes from God, the good and the bad. But my only hope needs to be in God. And though he slay me, even to the comes to the point where, where my life has to come to an end, I will hope in him because I know he's got the best plan for everything. And besides this, listen, think about this. 
When adversity hits your life and you don't have Jesus Christ in your life, what are you hoping in? Are you continuing to hope in all the things that have let you down? Or are you hoping in the person who created the universe? And understand that good things happen and bad things happen. But when you understand that God is sovereign and he's got the best plan for your life, it takes some of the pressure off. You can trust him. You can hope him. Hope in him. He never changes and he's always faithful. You need to recognize that God can be silent because there is no obligation for God to do anything. A.W. Tozer, a really smart Christian guy, said this, God is said to be absolutely free because no one and no thing can hinder him or compel him or stop him. He is able to do as he pleases always, everywhere, forever. Understanding that. Some people think that, uh, it, 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 that God is there to, to reign over us and he needs us to know this all the time and he's there to press us down and oppress us. And, and that's, that's a different version of God than we as Christians believe in. Our God is gracious. Our God is loving. Our God is kind. Our God is just. Don't get me wrong. He's going he's gonna to make sure that people get what they deserve. Thankfully, he sends his son, Jesus Christ, so that we who take our faith in him don't get what we deserve. Though he slays me, I will hope in him. Nothing in our lives goes unnoticed by God. And so when we're crying out to him, he hears us. We just need to accept that it's going to be his time when things happen and not always ours. And that's just the way it's going to be. But it will happen when he wants it to happen and in the way he wants it to happen. Listen to this. Jesus went out as usual into the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. And on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. And he said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. And yet not my will, but your will be done. And then an angel appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. He says to God, he says, I don't want to really go through what's about to happen. Not only the pain, but then accepting all the sins of the world that have ever happened onto me. I don't want that. I don't want this connection that we have because of the life that I've lived to be severed. And I know it's going to be. I don't want to go through this. But yet, not my will. But your will be done. And when he said that, when he accepted God's sovereignty, what happened? An angel appears and strengthens him. That's what happens to us. When we accept God's sovereignty, we will find strength in that. It sounds counterintuitive. I understand that. It seems like we're giving everything away to somebody else and thus we should become weaker. But just the opposite happens when we give everything away to God. He strengthens us. Here's Jesus in anguish. But God gives him the strength to pray and to pray with such earnesty that blood is dripping from his forehead. I don't actually want to ever pray that earnestly. I think I think I could be okay without that. But boy, amazing. It would be amazing to be able to do that. 
But God could give us the strength because God can do anything, anytime he wants, in any way he wants to. The next thing we need to do is listen to what God has said. How do we do that? If we're not hearing from God, how can we listen to what God has said? Well, guess what? He gives us the Bible, this amazing book. It's right here. The guidebook for our lives is right here. Anything, any question that you may need answered, any existential question that you may need answered, I guarantee you'll find in here. Even if it's not written in the exact words, as you're reading it, as you're digging into it, and if you're praying over it and you're asking for God to show you the way forward in your life, and you dig into the word, guess what? Amazingly enough, you find the way forward. Time after time after time after time. There's lots of techniques you can use for doing this. Look them up. How to find what God wants for me in the Bible. Just look it up. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. That's true. The secret things. But the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. That we may follow the words of the law. But the things revealed belong to us. There are things that God's not going to, we're not going to know this side of heaven. That's just the way it is. But he's revealed so much to us through his word. It's just a repository of treasures, guys. You got to dig into the word. You got to dig into the word. Look at this next quote from T.S. Eliot. Where shall the word be found? Where will the word resound? Not here. There is not enough silence. For me, I get a different kind of not being able to hear from God. It's not so much a silence. And I hinted at it a few minutes earlier, but it's very true. I have, as many of you, a lot of things hitting me all the time. There's this, this noise, this, this cacophony, this shrillness, this, this, these things tugging at you in your head. And you hear all these things and you think about all the things you need to do. And then you're hit 24 hours a day by news and by the internet. And you've got all this information and all this big data coming at you all the time. And for me, I will get caught up in that. And I won't be able to hear from God. So it's not necessarily silence that I have a problem with. Except for my own silence. And this says T.S. Eliot's talking about him. I can't hear the word. I can't let it resound in my heart and in my soul. I can't really feel what God wants for me in my life. Because my head is so full of stuff. And so what I have to do. This is me personally. Is I have to open the Bible and start reading. And for me, when I dig into the word this way, it's not about studying necessarily. I just need to start reading it. And God calms the voices down inside of me. And I'm able to, and I do this before I write, before I I, I sit down to do something. I know it's going to take an immense amount of concentration. I can either spend a half an hour trying to figure out my way into it and, and get all frustrated before I can even start working. Or I can open up the scriptures and I can just start reading. And the calm descends over me. And guess what? I learn a lot of things too. But besides that, the word can resound in you. The word can provide the silence that you need to be able to hear God's voice. And this is why we're spending so much time talking about the word of God and talking about uh, 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 how his prophecy has played out in this world is because we want you to know that there's a ton of stuff in there. But this is one thing we haven't talked a lot about. And then just one of the side, the, the awesome side effects of reading the scripture is it can provide a, a tremendous amount of calm to so many of you who need it, including myself. 
God is always in a state of constant communication. So dig into God's word. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you as you're doing it. God speaks in the silence of the heart. Listening is the beginning of prayer, said Mother Teresa. And she went through these drive times. I remember a few years back, the atheists were, were having a, a field day in the, in the media because they found a writing of Mother Teresa when she said she, she had these times of great self-doubt because God seemed so distant to her because of the things that she was doing. And they just picked up on that, of course. They didn't talk about all the stuff that led up to it or the, the renewal of her faith that came after it. They just wanted that. And they said, oh, see, even Mother Teresa's doubts that God exists. Well, <laughs> for those of you who are Christians, we know that that's not the case. We do go through these times where, where we, we've relied too much on our own self-understanding that the, the, that the enemy is able to come in and, and sow the seeds of doubt. But we return to God. He renews our faith in him. But here's the deal. Silence can be a blessing. The Gospel of John tells a story about Jesus and Lazarus. Of course, you guys know this, and Mary and Martha. And uh, when Jesus found out that Lazarus was ill, did he run right to his side? No, he didn't. He waited a couple of days. God, he knew, had a plan. God had a bigger plan. So Jesus goes... To the village where Mary and Martha and they come out crying to them. You know, everybody's asking Jesus, why didn't you come sooner? Lazarus has been dead for a few days already. The Bible says he stinketh. That's how long he's been dead. He's dead, dead. He's not just mostly dead. He's dead. And Jesus weeps. You know it must have broke Jesus' heart to see his friend El and know that he was going to pass away before he got there and know the pain that it was going to cause his family, also Jesus' friends. You know it hurt him, but he knew that he needed to follow God's plan. And so he went. And so he raised Lazarus from the dead. He didn't just heal a guy who was sick. He did a mighty miracle. So here are these ladies, Mary and Martha, no doubt the rest of the family, praying for God to do something, praying for for Jesus to come. And they're not hearing and nothing is happening. And wow, why? Why did it have to happen? Why did he have to die? Well, sometimes that silence and that unanswered prayer is the prelude to a much bigger miracle in your life, a much bigger blessing in your life. Oswald Chambers says, when you cannot hear God, you will find that he has trusted you in the most intimate way possible with absolute silence. Not a silence of despair, but one of pleasure because he saw that you could withstand an even bigger revelation. Think about that. Silence can be a blessing. Because in it, God could be preparing you for something even bigger. But maybe you're not ready for it yet. So you keep praying. You keep wondering. You might not be able to see it. There's this story that I heard recently about this guy. God comes down. He sees this guy here. And he says, hey, listen, guy. We'll call him Bob. Bob, I want you to push this rock. Bob's like, okay, you're God. I'll push the rock. So he pushes the rock, right? Year after year, day after day, he's pushing this rock. He's pushing it. He's cool with it. God told him to do it. He's going to do it. He's pushing this rock, right? Everything's great. 
One day Satan comes down and says, Bob, what are you doing? I'm pushing a rock, Satan. Why are you pushing that rock? Because God told me to. Well, has the rock moved? Well, no. (laughs) Well, why would God have you push a rock that he knows you can't move? I mean, are you sure you hear from God? Are Are you sure that God has what's best, your best interest in mind? And then he goes away. Bob says, hey, God, uh, Satan was just here. And I have a few questions. God says, okay, okay, Bob, what are your questions? He says, I've been pushing this rock for a long time now. Yes, yes, you have. Thanks for, thank you for being faithful. It hasn't moved. It's true. It hasn't moved. So why am I pushing this rock, God. You want answers now. Okay, I can give you answers. Remember what happened with Job when he asked for answers. He got like 37 chapters of answers that he didn't want. (laughs) Oh, okay. God says, uh, hey, Bob, look at your arms. He's like, yeah, look at those, man. Those are some guns, man. He says, look at your legs, your torso. And you're in pretty good shape now, aren't you? I've strengthened you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pushing that rock may be pretty strong. And you've been out here in the sun and enjoying the sun. And you're tan and you look healthy and you look vibrant. You've been seasoned, haven't you, Bob? I said, yeah, yeah. He said, Bob, I never told you to move the rock. I told you to push the rock. You see, I was doing something in you, Bob. Even though you couldn't see it, I was strengthening you. During that time I wasn't talking to you, the only communication you seemed to have was with Satan. I was doing a great work in you. So it might have seemed like I was silent, but I was trusting you with that. I was trusting you for a bigger thing that I had in mind for you. And that's what God's like sometimes in our silence. So don't. In fact, when you're in silence, when you're in those times, look at it as a blessing. Because you're pushing in on God. We continue to press in on God during those times. As Hosea says, so let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. He is going forth. His going forth is as certain as the dawn. We continue to press in. And with this, I'll call the band up and then we'll we'll wrap things up. But we continue to press on even if we don't see. The big picture. Because it's impossible from our limited perspective to see the big picture. So we continue to press on. We are thankful that our time of silence when it comes. Because it may just be something bigger is on the horizon. It may just be that we're not ready to see it yet. There was a reason that it took Moses so long to get those guys through the desert. All right, It wasn't that far. It would not have taken 40 years for those people to travel from point A to point B. But God knew that as a nation, Israel wasn't ready to get there yet. We see this happen time and time and time and time again in the Old Testament. God is preparing the way. And when the time has fully come, God will do a big work in you. God has an amazing life plan for each and every one of you. You might not see it, but count yourself in blessing when there's silence. Because you get that time to spend with him. You get that time to dig into the word. You get that time to examine your life. You get that time to understand that he is sovereign. And you get that time to continue to dig in and press on and get to know him better.
He's preparing you. He's building up your arms, your legs, so you look like Brandon. Oh boy, he's got a big head now. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, I'm going to invite you right now to ask yourself just a couple of questions. First, if have you heard anything today that sounds like it might be in your life? And second, what do you do in those times of despair? What do you do in those times when your life seems arid, that it seems like it's a desert, that there's just this dry, hot wind that blows across it, nothing is growing, nothing is changing, you're always looking around for something to satiate your thirst, you pour yourself into what, a bottle? You pour yourself into to, to bad relationships, whatever, your work, and none of it seems to, to satiate you. Why? Is there a reason? Yeah, it's because you weren't made for that. You were made for the one living water, the one true well that never runs dry. You were made for Jesus Christ. You were made for God. Do you want to stop crying out for stuff that's never, ever going to quench your thirst? Or do you want to start crying out for that water that only Jesus Christ can provide? Think about it. And if God spoke to you today, I invite you to come down and meet with one of our people and pray. They'll tell you the next steps you can take. Or if you're not quite ready, it's cool. I want you to go away and just do one thing for me. I want you to pray. Even if you're not a believer, I want you to pray and say, God, show me that you exist. Show me. Test him. Test him. I guarantee you. He'll answer. If you're sincere, if you really mean it, he will give you what you need. Because in his time, he will bring you to the cross. He will bring you to your knees. And he will bring you into a relationship with him. And you'll never be the same. You'll never be happier. You'll never experience life with more joy, with more sadness even, but a much fuller life. And one that, hey, listen, that goes on for eternity. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father. When the time has fully come, you sent your son to die on the cross for us so that we could always have communication with you, so that we could always come to you, so that you could make us righteous through Christ's righteousness, so that you continue to bless us. And we, Lord, ask for those people right now who are going through a dry season in their life to press on because you have something in store for them. You have something in store for each and every one of us, and we especially want to pray for those people right now who don't know you, who don't have that personal relationship with you yet. Make it obvious that there's nothing in this world that they can cry out to for help that will be eternal. We ask these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good week, everyone.
Jesus.